Matthew 4. So I said, give me a second. I went and looked, read through Matthew 4. I thought, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Um, some of my favorite stuff is in Matthew, Matthew 4, and I'm excited to be able to be here with you today to, um, to talk about it. Um, before I do that, though, I, I need you to help me out here. So this song, you may have um, heard it before. Uh, this was evidently written in the 20s. Uh, I didn't know this. Um, here's my question to you. Is this song theologically, biblically accurate? What do you think? So don't, you don't have to shout it out, although that was fun. Is that you, Randy? Someone said it. Um, I want you to turn and talk to somebody else about that question. And I'm going to ask you in a second to vote. You're going to give me a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or like, I don't want to make a decision. Uh, so you're going to talk to someone, yes, no, not sure, uh, and then we're going to vote. Ready, set, go. All right, 10 more seconds, 10 seconds. All right, you ready to do some voting? We're gonna do this on the count of three. And as a reminder, your options are thumbs up, thumbs down, or, or neutral. Are you ready? One, two, three, hit me. We, I'd leave them up. We got some thumbs up. We got some thumbs down. Let's see the box seats. Thumbs up. Middle. Uh, okay. I, we're like a 30-30-30 split. Uh, interesting. Okay. Um, we were less positive about it in the first service. So this is, this is I don't know what this says. Um, I hope um, that by the time we're done uh, this morning that that your answer to this is a little, at least more informed in some way, that you look at this song differently. And I want to get there by beginning with story. And I'm, I'm mindful of this because my daughter is sitting here. Uh, she's going to learn some things she didn't know. Um, so this, <laughs> um, so I, I have not um, had very many speeding tickets in my life. Um, in fact, the last speeding ticket that I got was in college. Um, and so I went to college at Montana State University in Bozeman. I lived in Southern Colorado, so I spent a lot of time tearing up I-25 through Wyoming. Uh, my friend and I went to school there together, and he, he drove this uh, busted-out Mazda. Um, so busted that, in fact, the speedometer didn't work. But, you know, it was Wyoming, and so we just guessed our speed by, by driving relative to other people. And then what we would do, he was studying engineering, is that we would use our tachometer, which is the RPMs thing, to, to, to estimate how fast we were going. So we knew about 3,000 RPMs, ah, that's about 80 miles an hour. And so um, I was, my turn to drive, we're driving through Wyoming at 3,000 RPMs, and a cop car passes us, turns around, lights, sirens, all the stuff, pulls us over. He's like, you know how fast you were going? I'm like, well, you know, 3,000 RPMs, which is probably equate to about 80 miles an hour. And he's like, yeah, you were doing 85. I'm like, see, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's got to be worth something. And his response was like, yeah, that's worth 100 bucks. Uh, you owe the state of Wyoming. So that was the last time I got pulled over um, until two months ago. 
Uh, um, so I need to tell you about this. Uh, I, um, it's August 31st, in fact, so I'm two and a half months ago. Um, I was working from home. It's a Monday. Uh, I spent the morning doing office work, and then I had some meetings uh, um, that I needed to attend. And so I left my house, um, as, I, as I do. Beautiful day, about 11.45 in the morning. I'm driving um, down the road. Um, life is good. I'm cruising past my kids' elementary school, which I drive every day. This is the school, you know, there's the school, and so the speed limit's 40, and I'm doing a cool 35 because I'm a good driver. Um, I, I get, I keep cruising down here. I end up at this intersection, and there's a cop on his motorcycle sitting right here in the corner. <laughs> and and I, I'm like, I, I literally, I, I wave at him. I'm like, hey, look at me. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, I drive past him. All of a sudden, flips on his lights, comes behind me. I'm like, ah. So, so rewind a little bit. It turns out that they put these little uh, signs that have blinking lights on them. Uh, I can't get to it really well. Here we go. We're getting there. Ah, yes, there it is. You see it over there? It's small. I mean, small enough a guy could miss it if it was flashing at 11.45 in the morning, and, which I did. So I had no idea that I was in this uh, school zone. Um, and that the light was flashing. I was like, it's, I mean, it's a closed campus. The kids aren't out. What's going on here? Uh, he didn't care. And so what he did was he, um, he asked me, did you know how fast you were going? I was like 35. I'm like, yeah. Um, and he proceeds to write me a ticket. And, and it's terrible. If you've ever been pulled over, I mean, being pulled over is terrible regardless. But if you're next to your old neighborhood, then you all of a sudden start getting text messages as all your neighbors drive by. <laughs> and so my neighbors are like, bing, bing, bing. Uh, and you're like, oh my gosh. Um, and you're feeling horrible. You know that feeling like when you, when you get pulled over, it, it's, it's awful. And um, he, uh, the cop is being kind to me. I think he, he just, he was, I was really like, I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't know. Like I, I drive here all the time. I'm really slow in the morning. I'm slow in the afternoon. I didn't know, you know. And he's like, well, here's, here's your ticket. And I'm like, well, thanks for your, your, you know, your kindness. And then he hands me my ticket, goes back to his motorcycle. And I, I take a look at it and this is what it looks like. Like, are you? Ah. He pulls the data from my license. This guy's got brown hair. He looks at me. He's like, that guy's got some gray hair for sure. Puts a slash through it, writes in pen, brown slash gray hair. I'm like, thanks for all that kindness. Uh, uh. So, so I start driving again, um, feeling a like a moron for having gotten pulled over in a school zone. I mean, we know don't speed in a school zone. That's like number one on like the list. Here I am. I'm feeling horrible about it. And I'm really conscious of my hair all of a sudden. Um, and it's, it's changing color. Um, run a couple errands and end up at my meeting destination, which is here. This is the uh, Edwards house. It's kind of like west of Old Town, if you've ever been there. It's now it's a bed and breakfast. I'm told it's a great place to go. Um, I went there for a meeting, which wasn't quite as cool. Uh, anyway, there's a little outbuilding in the back. And I pulled up. It looks just like this where there's nowhere to park. And so I, I drive around a little bit, and I find um, some little street parking here just kind of on the side. Um, I pull in, uh, park my car, run into the meeting, which I'm running late to. Um, I have this meeting, meeting with a bunch of architects. We're doing some stuff. I, I come out, um, and I can't find my car. True story. I walk out. I'm like, I like. I remember where I parked my car, and I get there. I'm like, my car is not there. 
There are a bunch of SUVs getting ready to pick up their kids from school and my car. And I run over there and I do not see my car. But I look up and what I do see is this sign, which has been hiding from me this whole time. Um, you probably may not be able to see it. Um, the bottom one says two hour parking. Uh, the top one, um, well, it says this. Yeah. They towed my car. <laughs> you guys. I, <laughs> three hours ago, I get pulled over in a school zone for speeding, and now I walk out, and um, my car is gone, and it's in the impound lot, wherever that is in Fort Collins. And I'm just like, <sighs> lots of feelings occurring inside. And, and I um, <laughs> grab my phone, and I call my wife, and I'm like, um, hi. And she says, um, how are you? I'm like, um, not, not good. <laughs> um, uh, I might be going to prison. <laughs> it's how I felt. You know, the guy just gave me a ticket. He says, well, you're going to lose one point off your license. And I'm like, well, how many do I have? Do I have two? Because <laughs> if so, then I'm down to zero. Um, and I'm in big trouble. And my wife's response is like, uh, um, and I'm like, well, um, and I might not be able to help with kid pickup, um, maybe ever again. <laughs> um, and the world starts to feel like this. Have you been there? <sighs> when all of a sudden you are so just like overwhelmed with like the ah, 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 I need to. And I wanna talk about that today because scripture has a lot to say about, about that spot. Maybe not the speeding ticket part and not the, you know, what happens when you park illegally in a school zone. Um, but it has a lot to say about that place when you find yourself in the darkness. And you are completely, 100% overwhelmed by it all. I want to unpack it today because I think it's so important for us to have a good biblical understanding of darkness. But before we go there, I do have to tell you kind of the rest of the story. It turns out I'm mostly an idiot. Um, my car, yeah, it was there. There's just this really big SUV. My car was behind it the whole time. But I seriously... I legitimately, I ran over there looking for my car and I did not see it. I don't know if like it really was like invisible and so I, I did not see it. So I imagine these poor, um, you know, people sitting in these cars must have been watching me like, oh, look at this guy. Like he's, he's, he's running, no, he's running. He's about to pass out. Like what is wrong with this, this guy? I swear, um, but I didn't park illegally. It turns out that was actually a good zone. The, the, the no parking was to the left of that. So I didn't break that law. Um, and the school zone, by the way, that light doesn't flash at noon anymore. Who knew? So uh, I think the cop felt so bad for me, he told the city. But anyway, um, I want to talk about that spot of darkness, though, because I, I find myself there. And, and, and what I think is important is it's not just that moment sitting on the curb feeling like I'm going to have a heart attack. I mean, that's part of it. But it's the days after 
Like maybe this happens to you. Something happens. For you, maybe it's not a moving violation, but it's something. You have, you have a heated conflict with that person who you love. You, you get into an altercation with your boss at work. You, you look at, maybe it's you look at the world around you and you're like, nothing seems to make sense anymore. And it seems like the world is caving in. And anytime your mind hits neutral, your mind goes there and it's, shh, 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 and you just can't, ah. It's what's happening for me. I, I cannot shake this feeling. Every time I, I'm sitting at my desk, I'm just, I'm thinking about, Andrew, you're an idiot. You're a moron. How in the world did you, ah. I lay down. Same thing, I wake up in the middle of the night. You have these moments in the middle of the night where you're just like, uh, and your mind just goes and you can't turn it off and you're just beating yourself up over the thing. And there's these voices, perhaps, or these, these thoughts, perhaps, and they are speaking things into you. Scripture has a word for that, at least probably more than one word, but the word we're gonna look at today is this word, scotia, which translates to darkness. Scripture describes this darkness as that place where, where reality is obscured, where you can't see things clearly or see things at all, where, where the state might be misery. So what I want to do, what I think would be helpful is for you to think about that space of darkness for you. Think about, maybe you're in that season right now and you don't have to think about it for a second. You're like, I'm, I'm right, right there. Maybe you have to recall, but what I want you to do is just take a second to think about those sleepless nights, those things that wake up. I want you to think about that. And then I'm gonna ask you not to tell me what it is, but I want you to tell me what the feeling is that accompanies it. So I use this word misery, but I wanna know what are the other feelings that hit you in those moments. So take a second to think about, think about that, then I'm gonna ask you to shout it out. All right, hit me. Guilt. Guilt. Yes. Regret. Shame. Uncertainty. Anxiety. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. Isolation. Isolation. Empty. Empty. I couldn't hear that one. Loneliness. out of control. So all of those and the hundred or more others that you could have said fall into this idea of, of darkness where, where this, there's this overwhelmed sense and it's not reality. And yet in the midst, it feels 100% the way that things are. It is obscure. It is dark to you. So we're going to take a look at this idea through Matthew 4, and we're going to really anchor the sermon in just one verse. We will look at others, but we're going to anchor it in Matthew 4, verse 16, which reads like this. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. So that word darkness is this word scotia. And it's that place where we find ourselves with those, those thoughts. It also, we find it's not just in the middle of the night, but that certainly is the example I want to use for now. But what I love about this passage is it, it describes the people living in darkness, but then it talks about this change. 
So I hope that you've had this too, where we're in that season, maybe it's days, maybe it's months, maybe it's years, but on some morning you wake up and all of a sudden it's different. There's almost a smile, at least in your soul. It's that change where all of a sudden you, Some parts of scripture would call that shalom, that peace, that the word we're going to look at today that describes that is this word phos, which is light, illumination, to reveal and impart life, to bring clarity and resplendent to it. So we're going to wrestle with these two because I think it's really important to understand both of these and what scripture says about that transition from dark to light because we have these incredible promises in scripture which give us the hope and the reality of our status as it relates to the darkness. So let's, um, let's, let's do that. Let's look at these, at these words. And, um, and I hope that when you're in this season of that dark that you are encouraged in some ways. You know, part of why I really wanted to also teach on this, when I read it, I'm like, oh, is this one of my favorite images in scripture is this sentence right here. I love it. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. I love light. I always have. My wife is gracious enough to let me sleep with the blinds open. And, when, and I love doing it because I love the morning when that light comes in. Oh, I love the freshness of that. It makes the winter months really struggle. And the people who live in Alaska, I don't know how you do it. I would really have a hard time. But I love this imagery because it's true in my life. It's also something powerful about it, maybe from the things that I've experienced, the things that I have seen. One of the things, every time I read it, there's this image that comes to mind that I want to share with you. It's from this movie uh, called The Lord of the Rings. You may have heard of it. Um, nice little independent flick that came out a while ago. Um, so this is from the movie, The Two Towers. Um, if, and I was telling the first service, I haven't watched these movies for, I have kids now. And so I don't have like 18 hours to give up in a day to watching movies. But when, before I had kids, I would watch these. There's this scene, if you've never seen it, um, where, where the bad guys, the, these orcs are, are pounding and coming in on this battle. It's been a multi-day battle. And the, the orcs are now literally pounding at the gates. And you can't really tell in this image, but they're basically, <coughs> that darkness, like personified about the bust in, to break in. And the guys, the good guys are on the inside. And they're like, all hope is lost. Like, what do we do? And one of them remembers this statement that occurred earlier in the film by this guy named Gandalf, um, and he says this, he says, look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. And right at that time, they, they start to see the light kind of dawning in the window. And they're like, yes, yeah. And they ride out for glory, yes. And they ride out. Um, and I want to show you this clip as they're, they're in the midst of this darkness, waiting for the light to dawn, and every time I see it, oh, here it goes. Maybe.
time I see it, it stirs me. And I cry it a lot all the time, but um, more than anybody you know, probably. Um, but it, it is so powerful, not because the movie is that great, although it's a good movie, but it reflects this thing that I've tasted. I know what that's like to be in that darkness and for that light to burst through and not just like a little like, bink, but it's like, and no, thanks for fixing the audio because in the first service, the audio was really weak. And I love this where it's just like, the fullness of it and that light and the, you see these orcs and they're just like, oh, that is the imagery of this text. But for our souls, that is the promise of scripture for us in those dark places is a light that just and overtakes the darkness. So I want to talk more about it because it's, it's awesome. So let's, 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 let's do this. Let's look at this passage in its context a little bit. Let's, let's dig into the words a little bit uh, and see what some scholars have to say about it. Um, and then we will um, we'll wrap this thing up. So um, I hope that when you walk away, this idea of darkness and light the contrast between those two is just so clear and that you are, you are encouraged because of it. So this passage, like I said, Matthew 4, if you haven't turned there, you're welcome to turn or swipe, however you choose to get there, um, is part of this, this passage starting at verse 12. Um, and I'm just gonna read it to you. It says this, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. So we're talking about John the Baptist. And if you um, Want to, if you weren't here last week, Jason preached on Matthew 3, which is talking about John the Baptist. Uh, Greg Hook has also preached on, on John the Baptist. So there's some rich, awesome stuff in there. And if you're like, well, how did John end up in prison? Listen to those to understand that, that context. But John the Baptist is in prison um, and Jesus withdrew, uh, leaves and goes to Galilee. And it says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So what I wanna highlight here, there's a lot that could probably be said and preached on this, but what I think is important is when we think about this passage that we're thinking about, it is a prophecy. So it was prophesied by Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter nine, if you wanna go and take a look. It's approximately seven or 800 years prior to the, the writing of, of this. And Isaiah is saying, this is coming. And it, the Messiah is coming. Um, and this is describing what is to come. And what's interesting is that if you flip over or swipe over to the book of Luke, in Luke 1, Similar things are said by Zechariah. So Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. Um, and he, if you remember that story, he can't speak for a season of time while his son uh, is in the womb. And then when, he come, when he's born, uh, they're like, what are we gonna call him? And he like writes on his little name tag, like, his name is John. And then all of a sudden he can speak again. And in that, that dialogue, the first thing recorded of what he said, this is part of what he says near the end. It says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. It's that same reference to Isaiah. 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. So Zechariah, thinking about the anticipation of Jesus coming, the proclamation of him, Matthew recording what Isaiah said, they're all focused on this importance of understanding and this language around darkness and light. So if they say it's pretty important, I think we should think it's important too, and let's, let's dig into it some. So the reality is for me, so when I'm in that dark, that dark place, it's not about the thing, really. Like for me, the things that are spinning me after a speeding ticket, the things that are spinning me after parking illegally, uh, but not illegally, but I thought I was illegal, the thing spinning is not the thing. It is the thing below the thing. For me, it is that voice, it is that thought, and mine goes like this. You're incompetent. It's like, Andrew, how can you not read a sign? How can you not pay attention to a flashing light? How can you be so unable to function in this world? That's, that's the lie. That is that obscure, not true, and yet I am believing it as true thing that I hear again and again. It also sounds like this. People are going to be shocked. They're going to amaze when they realize that you, you can't, who, who is this guy? We're going to let him stand in front of a, a group of church people and talk about it. These are the thoughts that go in my head. Thoughts, people aren't going to trust you. I see the Schultzes sitting here. I drive their daughter to and from middles to this building every once in a while. Like, We're not going to let this guy do that. He's got, how, so that is what plays in my head again and again and again. And it's not true. It's crazy. If I talk to Mike, I'm sure he's going to be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And yet, I cannot see the truth. I wallow in that, and it sends me to that space of misery, of confusion, of all those things that you said. So I don't know what yours is. What is, this is probably not the thing that you wrestle with. It's the one for me though, that my dependence on what you think of me and my abilities paralyzes me when that is challenged and sends me to that spot where I cannot see the world accurately, where I'm in darkness. Here's a list of one, I've put these up here before, of others that maybe, maybe if yours doesn't look like mine, maybe yours is on this list. I'm gonna give you a second to look at that. I think it's really important that we have language around these things. That if we can't Identify. We can't put words onto what it is that we are hearing. It is so hard to fight against that. So if, if there's something up here that resonates with you, you have some words. Maybe there's not, then you have some work to do of being able to put words around the darkness, around the lies. Because I can tell you nine times out of 10, it always comes back to the same lie for me. No matter, it presents in lots of different ways. It presents in a fight that I have with Sarah, my wife, 
Um, but yet the lie, the thing that wakes me up in the middle of the night is that same dark lie. I was um, talking with a vet student the other day. So I work at the vet school, dean of teaching for that. And uh, this girl was uh, confiding in me. She says, Dr. West, I just have a ton of test anxiety. Do you have any strategies? I said, well, tell me more about that. She's like, when I, when I get in front of a test, I, I cannot function. My mind shuts off. I start to shake. I can't, I cannot, I can't remember things that I would otherwise, I would know. And, and I, I just can't handle it. And I said, well, we could do some stuff. I mean, we could work on some breathing exercises and you could listen to some calming music. We could find you, you know, a quiet room to take your exams. But I said, what I think you ought to do is ask, what is it about this exam that sends you into paralyzing anxiety? Because I bet it's not about the exam. I bet it's about bigger things. Like if I were to fail this or drop out of vet school, my parents aren't gonna love me. If I were to fail this, my worth to my, all my friends who supported me in getting here, it's done. Those are those lies. It's the thing beneath the thing that results in this. And none of it is true. It's, it's darkness, but we can't, we can't see it because it's obscure. So instead, what we do is we're in, living in those seasons and our friends come around us um, and, and our society comes around us and it says things like this. Oh, think positive. Oh, well, that's helpful now. Like I was totally paralyzed with anxiety, but now you tell me to think positive. Yeah, I'm, I'm better now. Andrew, you be you. Yeah, everything will work out. And it, it, it falls. In the face of this, that stuff falls so flat. In fact, I was just listening to something on NPR the other day. The Wall Street Journal picked up on this. There's a phrase that scholars now use, and they call it toxic positivity. Toxic, which I would agree with, positivity. It's, it's, it's platitudes that do nothing for the root of what's happening. Nothing to touch that dark, obscure, miserable place. It doesn't touch it. But we have more than UBU. We have the word of God to shape that. So I want to, I want to give you a sense for what scholars have said about some of these words here as, as a way to encourage you, I hope. So let's look at this word light. Uh, I'm gonna look at what two scholars say about it. Um, and then we're gonna introduce one other word that means light or is similar to it. So here's what scholar number one says. It says this, everything made manifest by Christ has taken on the nature of light so that its true character and quality are no longer hidden. Lots of words on there. Let me try to break them up a little bit at a time. Everything made manifest, everything made visible, everything made apparent, everything on which Christ resides, which is you, if you are in Christ. So everything that Christ has touched, that Christ has touched, has taken on the nature of light. You, Dylan, have taken on the nature of light so that what is true about you, same for you too, Lynch. I see you shouting out. What is true about your character and your quality are no longer hidden. 
Jesus steps on, shines his light on you, on the reality of who you are. Not on the lie of who you tell yourself you are, but the reality of who you are. So this is what scholar one says. I love what scholar two is gonna say here. It goes like this. The extremely delicate, subtle, pure, brilliant quality of light has led to the use of the word as an appellation, as, as an appeal to God. As by nature, spotless and holy. So let's put this together. It's saying that light, when we, hear, when we read the biblical word light, it is analogous to spotless, holy, pure. So let's put it together. If both of these statements are true, that light shines on you, revealing the reality of who you are, and if that light means that you are spotless and holy, Isn't that beautiful? That we believe in the dark these lies that are not true, and the light shines in and reveals the reality of who you are. So so this word light, um, there's, there's several variations in the Greek. One of them is more the verb version, which means to shine. So this word Femi, to shine, is talking about not the light itself, but this idea of shining light into a spot. This idea of illuminating something. And a scholar says this, to bring to light by asserting one statement, one point of view over another. So the idea is that in this idea of the shine light is to take one thing and to contrast it with one other thing. In our passage, to take the darkness, the one thing, and to contrast it with the light, making this effective contrast which illuminates, which reveals, or which I love this, literally, to produce an epiphany. To have that, wait a second, that, ah. So this is, I think, is beautifully highlighted, and I want to talk about it, going back to Matthew Verse one. So if we go to Matthew chapter four, verse one, we're going to take a look at this idea through um, three scenes. So uh, Matthew four, verse one is kind of this first scene. So we have the, this this really interesting thing that Jason could preach an entire sermon series probably just on this kind of temptation of Jesus passage. I'm not going to say a whole lot about it, uh, but I am going to read it. But it's it's this fascinating thing where Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan. And I'm going to read it to you. So it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. Like the number one understatement in all of scripture. I mean, 40 days of not eating. He was, yeah, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. End of scene one. Scene two. Then the devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. The devil says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. End of scene two. Scene three. Again, 
The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So there's a lot in there that could be said. What I want to do is I want to highlight this. So this idea of to shine light is to make a contrast. To make a contrast that illuminates and reveals and causes an epiphany. Let's look at it in our passage. So scene number one, the tempter, the father of lies, the father of darkness says this, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It is darkness. It is untrue. It is an obscurity to which Jesus shines light and says, it is written. So he's quoting scripture. So his, his, his defense or his retort or his reply is, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Scene two, again, the father of lies, the speaker of darkness says one thing. In response, Jesus quotes scripture again speaks truth into this. Scene three, darkness, yet again, a lie, a distortion to which Jesus quotes scripture a third time. Are you seeing a pattern here? If we look at the life of Jesus and how does Jesus, the spotless one, the Messiah, when he is faced with the lies and the reality of the darkness trying to encroach upon him, what does he do? He speaks scripture to it. He speaks truth to it. When we look at this idea of to shine, he shines light on it. He takes this contrast and say, you are saying this, but let me tell you what's true. You are saying this lie, but let me tell you what's true. To shine light on it. Hmm. So let's, let's take it to these. Let's take it to the lie that you believe. Let's imagine that your lie is this one, that I'm fundamentally flawed. That at the end of the day, no matter what it is, you walk away and you, are, you spend that time beating yourself up. Idiot, idiot. <sighs> Play that tape again and again and again. To shine light on that, what does that look like? It means you grab onto something like Hebrews 10 and you remind yourself, God justifies you as you are. Hebrews says this, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are made holy. Chew on that. If this is a lie you believe, marinate on that. For by one sacrifice, he has made you perfect. You're made perfect. Not just made okay. Not just, ah, you're going to get by. You are made perfect by the God of the universe forever. Forever you are made perfect. Marinate on that for a little while. Not you be you. You do you. Marinate on the reality that the creator of the universe 
says, I have made you perfect forever. Let's imagine that, that this is you. I'm just not worthy of being loved. My whole life experience tells me I'm not worthy of being loved. Everybody in my life, I'm not worthy of being loved. If that's the lie you believe, why don't you try this? Ephesians 1.4, God wants you just as you are. For he chose us or he chose you before the creation of the world. Like before all this happened, he chose you. He chose you. And you didn't just like happen on accident. He loves you. He made you on purpose. You are so loved. One more. Maybe this is your lie. I'm not significant. I'm not. Uh, I'm just going to blend into the background. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. In a room of people, it doesn't. If that's that lie that you believe, try this one on. Psalm 139, 14. Oh, you're significant. God sees you as you are. You are not only significant, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That word fearful doesn't mean a scare, like I'm afraid. It means awe. It means wonder. It means, oh my gosh. The God of the universe made you and he says, oh my gosh, you're wonderful. Look what I've made. It's wonderful. You tell yourself, I'm not significant. The God of the universe says, oh, contraire. You are so significant. You are so significant. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the dark that says anything other than the truth of who you are. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Shine light on that. Contrast what is false with what is true. There's power. There's power over these things through the blood of the Lamb. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. You have seen a great light. And those living in the shadow of death, light has dawned. All right. To wrap this up, and band, you're welcome to come up. There's, um, there's this, this dialogue that Paul writes about in Ephesians 4. He's describing the church as a whole when he's talking about all the different um, types of people and all the giftings that people have in the church. And he talks about the pastors uh, and the teachers and uh, the uh, prophets. And um, he basically says that, that we come together and there is a growing in unity and there's a growing in knowledge as we come, as we are together with people. Um, and I wanna highlight one of the things that he says when he's describing that, he says, so when we come together, he says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that sound so clever, they sound like truth. Does that ring a little bit like darkness? When the world, when that voice, when, when somebody is saying something that sounds so like truth. It's so clever that I can't discern it. He says, instead, we will speak the truth in love. J. 
Jason's mentioned this before. That verse has been taken out of context, I think, so many times. We use it to be like, well, you did something wrong, so I'm going to speak the truth and love to you. That is not the context or the intent or the heart as I read it at all. Instead, what it is saying is that you are in darkness. You're not able to see. Let me speak truth over you. Let me remind you of what is true about you. Let me remind you of the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of Christ. Let's speak truth into each other in love because we love, love, love each other. All right, I promised we'd come back to it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'll give you my take. The first, second word, this little light, I don't buy it. A little light, we read, no, oh, this little candle, I'm not going to hide it under a bushel, no. <laughs> we got to change that word. This powerful, amazing, huge, choose your superlative, incredible, awe-inspiring light. Yeah, that, that light, the light of Christ, the light of truth. Yeah, that little light of mine. Now, is it yours? You can maybe answer both ways. The reality is, is that if you are in Christ, it is yours. That huge, powerful light It's yours. It is true. Without you having to do a single thing but believe in the one who is light. You don't have to muster up anything. You don't have to do anything but believe. So yeah, you bet that massive, huge light, it is is yours. It is yours. And yet we forget. So I'm going to let it shine. We are going to shine like crazy on each other. We're going to remind each other of who we are. We're going to remind each other when you are in the darkness, we're going to come alongside and say, no, let me reveal to you what is true. Let me reveal who you really are. It's the light of mine. Yeah, we're going to let it shine.